Ron Thomas tells the story of an elderly woman who stood in a very busy corner in rush hour traffic. She was fearful, confused, and therefore hesitant to cross by herself. Finally, a gentleman came up to her and asked if he could walk across the street with her. Grateful and very relieved, she took his arm and stepped into the busy intersection. As they proceeded, she grew progressively alarmed as he zigzagged randomly across the street to the blare of horns and screech of lock brakes. Finally, after reaching their destination, she turned to the gentleman and complained, You almost got us killed. You walk like you're blind. I am, he replied. That's why I asked if I could cross with you. That dear lady did not make the best choice. The man who she thought was a steady arm and sufficient guide was actually desperate for guidance himself. He didn't have a clue. I remember Jesus speaking about blind guides. When the blind leads the blind, they both end up in the ditch. My friends, we live in a culture where many are calling for us to follow them, and we blindly follow a trend, or we blindly follow someone that is appealing. And in what is the most dangerous trend, there is a growing lack of discernment among Christians, young and old, and in fact, a growing lack of discernment amongst all people today to know whom to follow and whom to listen to. This lack of discernment has really caused many to mess up their lives and made them quite unsure and uneasy about many things in this challenging and changing world. Joseph Stoll of Moody Bible Institute defined discernment like this. Discernment in Scripture is the skill that enables us to differentiate. It is the ability to see issues clearly. We desperately need to cultivate this spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. We must be prepared to distinguish light from darkness, truth from error, best from better, righteousness from unrighteousness, purity from defilement, and principles from pragmatics. My question to all of us and to the church at large from this pulpit in particular is, do we need to again learn to discern? Have we lost as a church, have we lost as individual Christians the gift of discernment? Samuel Johnson makes this great observation. The supreme end of education is expert discernment in all things, the power to tell good from the bad, the genuine from the counterfeit, and to prefer the good and the genuine to the bad and the counterfeit. But unfortunately, many people have stopped thinking for themselves and simply buy into what the world offers, so they don't prefer the good and the genuine from the bad and the counterfeit. And while discernment separates someone who is wise or not, discernment can be difficult with everyone claiming to be right and everyone else wrong. And the noise of the world's culture and media bombards our mind to further confuse us. So how then do we discern? This is what we're going to take a look at as we continue our sermon series titled Unshakable. Studying the book of 1 John together, we want to learn how we can build up a confident faith that will allow us to be unshakable in these challenging times by cultivating biblical discernment in our lives. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John as we take a look at chapter 3, verse 24, to chapter 4, verse 6. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, to chapter 4, verse 6, as we draw out some principles for Christian discernment. I read now chapter 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. 
Here in verse 24, John introduces the third person of the triune Godhead, God the Holy Spirit, and states that a believer can authenticate that God lives or abides in him through the work of God the Holy Spirit in his life. We find out in Scripture that the Holy Spirit indwells us, seals us, baptizes us at the moment of salvation to confirm and affirm that we are children of God. And at the moment of salvation, we are given gifts of the Holy Spirit to help edify the church body. As believers, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily and to cultivate and develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So as you can see, God the Holy Spirit is an essential part of our Christian life. God the Holy Spirit also plays a very important part in how we discern things. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here John cautions us not to believe every spiritual thing we encounter, but to make sure we examine it and test it to make sure it is from the one true God consistent with what His revealed Word in the Bible says and teaches. And this caution is because there are many false teachers and heretical teachings that are running around masquerading itself as the truth. That is why there's a need for a standard for truth. Now, can you imagine what would happen if everyone had a different understanding of what is a meter in length? Buildings would collapse. There would be no standard, so sports would be unfair. Cars and planes would crash. That's why the international standard for a meter is currently defined as the length of the path traveled by light in a vacuum in one over 200 99,792,458 of a second. That is the universal standard of what is a meter length. The importance of a standard should be very evident to each and every one of us. We need a standard for truth. And John notes it very clearly that the standard against which we discern whether things are right or wrong or whether we should do something or not is a standard God has set in the Bible. Therefore, verse 1 tells us to test the spirits. The reason we test things is because discernment is not randomly picking what you think is right or wrong, but it is to hold it up against the unchanging standard which God has set to make sure it is in alignment or not with God's Word. Since everything is so subjective nowadays and based on the whims of the individual and what they want to believe or how they feel about it, It is important that the Bible serves as a standard guide and filter for our worldview. So whether it deals with entertainment, culture, arts, music, and other subjects, the standard for discernment, whether it is appropriate or not, is based on God's Word and whether or not it glorifies God. Aaron Frost notes, when John says here in verse 1, do not believe or believe not, This could also be literally rendered, stop believing. Stop believing every spiritual thing you hear. Stop believing every miracle you hear about. Stop assuming every Christian has sound doctrine. This was the command to the church then, and this command is especially timely for the church today. Stop believing every book in the Christian bookstore. Stop believing every teacher on Christian radio or on the internet. Stop believing every story that you hear about spiritual activity. Stop assuming that everyone with something to say about God or Scripture is actually speaking the truth. 
in a time where teaching is available at our fingertips in any given moment, there is a sense in which we have become desensitized to false teachers. Maybe they're not so bad, we think. They seem really genuine. A lot of what they are saying is true, so maybe I'm in the wrong here. There is no way this person is a false teacher. They have such a spiritual demeanor. My friend really likes his teacher, so they must be worth listening to, right? My friends, may we not be so naive to simply take every claim of, quote-unquote, Christian teaching at face value, but we should examine it. The Bible says we are to test it. Sadly, unbelievers are often less gullible than Christians because we are often told in our Christian circles, do not judge, do not touch the Lord's anointed. You have a critical spirit if you don't believe. And other statements in the Bible taken completely out of context and where we believe any person that calls themselves a pastor and they must speak the truth because they are so-called pastors. That's why we are often so easily deceived. In fact, because we live in a celebrity culture, we put unreal assumptions of celebrities and put celebrities, be it actors or pastors, on a pedestal. And the logic is this, they look good, they sound good, and they say good things, therefore they must be good people. And yet here in the Bible, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we are told very clearly that we need to test the spirits because there are many false teachers running around with heretical teachings. In fact, in the book of Acts, the Bereans were a group of Christians who were greatly commended because they were always filtering everything they heard through God's unchanging words. Even the teachings of the Apostle Paul, they checked against the Scriptures. If it is in alignment with God's Word, then we can accept it. But if it doesn't align with God's Word, then we should reject it. Even if it contains Bible verses, they're most probably taken out of context. Remember that while the Bible is our standard, the Bible verses which we use must be taken in the context in which it is given, or else the Bible can be easily manipulated to serve our own purpose to say what we want it to say. The end of verse 1 is a vivid reminder that many deceivers are out there who are trying to pull us away from the truths of the Bible. They prey on the fact that many of us are so biblically illiterate that we simply don't know what the Bible says. So they can say, this is what the Bible says, and we wouldn't know any better because we simply don't know the Bible well enough. And they also know we only like to hear what we want to hear. So they take parts of the Bible and only stress those parts, but never teach the complete revelation of God. These deceivers also know that we like to pick and choose the Bible passages that we want to read, often only single verses. And so they give us these single verses completely taken out of context, which manipulates its meaning. Deceivers have only but one job, and it is to simply twist the Scriptures in such a way that it sounds like it's in the Bible when in fact it is not. That's exactly what Satan did with Adam and Eve to cause them to fall. Remember, Satan used to be Lucifer, and 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15, warns us of the tricks of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. 
Here the Bible tells us Satan and his demons will subtly change the truth in such a way that it sounds true, but in fact is false, because there's an element of untruth in it. And as I've often said, when you have truth plus untruth, it is still untrue. The Bible tells us they will mask themselves as angels of light, but in fact are spreading lies and deceit, and their one aim is to deceive you and to destroy you. Even more, this admonition to test the spirits against the standards of the Scriptures in its proper context is vitally important in light of what we know about Satan and what he is trying to do. You see, discernment principle number one, test everything to see if it's in alignment with God's standards as revealed in the Bible. Test everything to see if it is in alignment with God's standards as revealed in the Bible. As it relates to spiritual things, verses 2 and 3 gives us a testing criteria. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Here the Bible tells us a criteria to know if the Spirit is from God or not. And it is to see what is affirmed about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself. Apparently, the false teachers of John's time were denying the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which the Bible clearly taught that Jesus Christ, God Himself, took on human form as a babe of Bethlehem to die for mankind. Jesus is fully divine and fully human, and that makes Him the unique sacrifice to atone for our sins. Now, it may be hard for us to grasp how Jesus can be both fully human and fully divine, but this is what is taught in the Scriptures. In fact, false teachers will try to offer a more simplified and acceptable truth, but be warned that simple and acceptable doesn't mean it is right. There's a story of a man who put this sign in front of his auto repair shop. Beware of bargains in life rafts, brain surgery, parachutes, and auto repairs. There are truly some points in life at which bargains are no good. This is a good reminder for biblical truths as well. There are some truths that are hard to understand, hard to apply, but it doesn't mean that it is not true. There will be others who offer something more simple, something more acceptable, something easier for us to understand, but it would be lies if it is inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. I remember another story where there was a cultist who came calling upon a man in a village, and he rang his doorbell, and after giving his proposition, the man says, come on in, you're offering to me a better deal than I'm getting there in the church. Michael Shannon writes, we must go beyond that which looks good to find real value, to find the truth, to find God's truth. The world sells itself to us as having a better product, and we buy into the world's marketing without doing the cost analysis and the research. Would you buy a product simply because they say they are the cheapest, the most effective, the simplest, the best available in the market? Of course not. You and I will research to make sure that the marketing is true. So it should also be when we hear spiritual truths being propagated. Let us be wise and discerning against the standards we have, which is the Bible. Now look at verse 4 with me. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. 
because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here's one of my most favorite verses in the Bible because it reminds us that as God's children, we can and have overcome the world because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the dead, He defeated Satan once and for all. And we are reminded that God the Holy Spirit who indwells us is more powerful than Satan. We don't need to fear the world and what it throws at us. We don't need to fear the world's rejection. And we don't need to live in fear of believing and doing what is right and being spiritually attacked because God the Holy Spirit lives in us and will protect us. That nothing can touch us that God does not allow. Nothing will happen to us that God doesn't allow. And that is a wonderful truth and assurance. Now, how does this truth relate to discernment? You see, our discernment is often clouded by fear. We often fear making the choices that we know to be right because of the repercussions. We know that if we take a stand against unbiblical lifestyles and sinful practices, that we will be labeled and targeted. But if God the Holy Spirit is greater than Satan and His world, then there is no need to fear because victory is assured in this life and in the life to come. Discernment principle number two is this. Fear should not influence right decisions because children of God have the all-powerful Holy Spirit. Fear should not influence right decisions because children of God have the all-powerful Holy Spirit. Look at how John addresses the Christian readers of his letter. He calls them little children, implying that they are defenseless in a position of weakness against the world, but they are of God meaning they aren't just any children, they are children of God. And as children of God, they have the protection of God with them, which is not only physical and spiritual protection, but also the rights and privileges that come from being children of God. One of my favorite stories shows how recognizing and realizing this truth will give confidence and transform a life, your life. A seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlingburg, Tennessee. One morning, they were eating breakfast at a little restaurant, hoping to enjoy a quiet family meal. While they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting with the guest. The professor leaned over and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the man did come over to his table. Where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. Oklahoma, they answered. Great to have you here in Tennessee, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? I teach at a seminary, he replied. Oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, I've got a really great story for you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with the couple. The professor groaned and thought to himself, great, just what I needed, another preacher story. The man started. See that mountain over there pointing out the window restaurant? Not far from the base of that mountain, there was a boy born to an unwed mother. He had a hard time growing up because every place he went, he was always asked the same question. Hey boy, who's your daddy? Whether he was at school, in the grocery store, or the drugstore, people would ask the same question. Who's your daddy? He would hide at recess and lunchtime from other students. He would avoid going to the stores because... That question hurt him so bad. 
when he was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to his church. He would always go in late and slip out early to avoid hearing the question, who's your daddy? But one day the new preacher said the benediction so fast that he got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. Just about the time he got to the back door, the new preacher, not knowing anything about him, put his hand on his shoulder and asked him, son, who's your daddy? The whole church got deathly quiet. He could feel every eye in the church looking at him. Now everyone would finally know the answer to the question, who's your daddy? This new preacher, though, sensed the situation around him and using discernment that only the Holy Spirit could give, said the following to that scared little boy, wait a minute, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You are a child of God. With that, he patted the boy on his shoulder and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. With that, the boy smiled for the first time in a long time and walked out the door a changed person. He was never the same again. Whenever anybody asked him, who's your daddy? He'd just tell them, I'm a child of God. The distinguished gentleman got up from the table and said, isn't that a great story? The professor responded that it really was a great story. As the man turned to leave, he said, you know, if that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably never would have amounted to anything. And he walked away. The seminary professor and his wife were stunned. He called the waitress over and asked her, do you know who that man was? The one who just left that was sitting at our table. The waitress grinned and said, of course, everybody here knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's governor of Tennessee. And it's a true story. Ben W. Hooper was the governor of Tennessee from 1911 to 1915. But he was born out of wedlock in Newport, Tennessee on October 13 of 1870 to Sarah Wade and Dr. L.W. Hooper, a physician. Dr. Hooper refused to marry Sarah because he was engaged to another woman. But you see how knowing that you are a child of God transforms your life. Perhaps someone in your life today needs to be reminded that they are one of God's children. My friends, if in your life you discern that you should give up something sinful in your life or choose to do what is right and follow biblical principles, but you are afraid of the implications, repercussions, and ramifications, you and I have the assurance that as a child of God, we have the all-powerful Holy Spirit, God Himself, who indwells us and has overcome Satan and the world. I love Jesus' own words in John chapter 16, verses 32 to 33. John 16, verses 32 to 33. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because my Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My friends, Jesus has overcome the world. The Bible tells us, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My friends, live victoriously and not in defeat. We have the freedom to discern and make the right choices without fear of what others will think or do to us. There is no need to fear as long as you do what is right before the Lord. Look at me now at verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. 
The day here in verse 5 is in reference to the false teachers who were spreading heretical teachings inconsistent with what was taught in God's Word. Here John notes that what they said resonates with the world because they are from the world and not from God. Their false teachings are accepted by the world because it is the same untruth that the world propagates. So, of course, it is acceptable. And you will find this to be true in our generation today. Biblical Christian teachings won't be accepted by the world, but watered-down biblical teachings that are half-truths and other non-biblical teachings will be accepted with open arms by the world. I just read in an article this week that Grace Baldrige, a 31-year-old openly queer artist who goes by the stage name Semler, sat atop the iTunes Christian Albums chart for the second time in 2021. Baldrige tweeted, We did it again an openly queer artist holding the number one spot on the Christian charts, Baby Bloom. Like her previous album, Preacher's Kid, Semler's October 22 EP titled Late Bloomer rose quickly to become the number one Christian album. Baldrige is a daughter of an Episcopalian priest. She married her partner, Elizabeth Kappel, in 2018. In this new album, Baldrige focuses on issues of the Christian faith. In her song, Want to Grab Coffee, she writes, Jesus loves you, but I don't know if He likes you. If you hung out for a day, I think He'd have some notes to go through, like, why are you the way you are? And hypothetically, would you say that hell is near or really far? I'm just saying, stranger to sinner, I sure hope you're praying, because judgment is coming and you'll be pain. During the chorus of the song, Semler sings, but this is my favorite part about a Savior, the feedback on behavior. Salvation was a favor. Oh, that is my favorite part, because God knows religion is hard. iTunes isn't the only place where Semler's music is getting heard. Her song, Hallelujah, In Your Arms, was also featured on Spotify's top Christian editorial playlist. Semler's words resonate with this Christian generation because it is similar with the message of the world and therefore more acceptable. While struggling with accepting the hard truths of Scripture and engaging the tensions of biblical truths is normal for one who is growing in their faith journey and should be addressed in a safe and loving environment, biblical truth is still truth and should not be altered to fit the standards of acceptability. But you can see that biblical truth altered will be more readily accepted by the world because everyone wants to live in both worlds, the Christian world and the secular world. But the Bible says we simply can't live in two worlds. We have to pick one world in which to live. Look at verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here in verse 6, John states that he is sure of the truth he and his fellow apostles were teaching because it is of God, inspired by him. And it is through the apostolic doctrines based on God's inspired word and confirmed by the Holy Spirit, which those who know God will know what is true and what is in error. You see, at the end of the day, it comes down to truth versus error, not about what is accepted and what is rejected by the public or what is the majority or the minority view. Because you've heard it said before that those in the majority are not always in the right. Majority views determine what is accepted and rejected by the culture. 
it doesn't determine truth versus error. So that means even the culturally accepted view may be wrong as well. At the end of the day, as verse 6 says, it boils down to truth versus error. And it is our responsibility to discern truth versus error regardless of the majority or accepted view. And here is discernment principle number three. Our responsibility is to discern truth versus error regardless of the majority or accepted view. Our responsibility is to discern truth versus error regardless of the majority or accepted view. In his book, Selling Jesus, Douglas Webster speaks about the lack of discernment in American church growth and marketing today. He writes, American Christianity is increasingly tolerant of any and all methods as long as they bring numerical results. We don't hear people praising the Lord because of millions of people watch the NFL Super Bowl. But if 5,000 people attend church, it must be God's doing. We have virtually eliminated discernment of the will of God. And sadly, that's the equivalent of losing the keys to the kingdom. Anything goes, anything is acceptable as long as it is defended for the sake of evangelism and promotes church growth. The single most decisive support for new methods is popularity. If people are buying, the product must be good. Public opinion has become an arbiter of truth, dictating the terms of acceptability according to the marketplace. The sovereignty of the audience makes serious, prayerful thinking about the will of God unnecessary because opinions are formed on the basis of taste and preferences rather than careful biblical conviction and thoughtful theological reflections. Americans easily become, quote-unquote, slaves of slogans when discernment is reduced to ratings. Let me repeat two statements that should serve as a wake-up call to our generation. Public opinion has become an arbiter of truth, and opinions are formed on the basis of taste and preferences rather than careful biblical conviction and thoughtful theological reflection. When have we as a people, young and old, stopped using our minds and simply latch onto the court of public opinion? This should serve as a wake-up call to our generation by the Apostle John for us to be more discerning for what is truth and what is error according to the Bible instead of ceding this important task of discernment to the public sphere. Because, my friends, what you and I don't know could get us hurt. I remember a story of a Mexican bank robber named Jorge Rodriguez who lived in Texas. He had been so successful robbing banks that the Texas Rangers put a whole posse on his trail. For months, they tried to catch him as he slipped across the Rio Grande River. Finally, a Texas Ranger cornered Jorge in a saloon one night. Quietly, the Texas Ranger slipped up behind Jorge and put his sixth gun to Jorge's head. Then the Ranger said, I know who you are, and unless you tell me where you've hidden the bank money, I'm going to blow your brains out. There was one problem. Jorge did not speak English, and the Ranger did not speak Spanish. Just then, an enterprising little fellow stepped up and said, would you like for me to translate for you? The ranger nodded. So the translator told Jorge what the ranger had said. Jorge was scared to death and said to tell the ranger he could have the money, but please don't pull the trigger. He told the translator exactly where the money was hidden and then begged for mercy. The translator took all this in 
and then solemnly told the Texas Ranger, Jorge Rodriguez is a brave man. He said he is ready to die. My friends, don't let others interpret how you are to live your life and for what you are to believe. You and I need to discern for ourselves what is truth and what is error. Let me encourage all of us to use our minds and discern wisely using the Scriptures as our standard for what is right and what is wrong without fear. This will enable us to stand unshakable in a world where truth often changes on the whims of the majority and where a lack of moral absolute means that anything goes. Even the secular world warns us not to be so trusting and naive. In an article titled, Negotiating Through Life Means Never Taking Things at Face Value, entrepreneur, financial controller, and corporate training specialist Tom Lawyer tells people to keep the following in mind. Number one, remind yourself to always verify everything people say. Number two, don't rely on anything others say until you've had a chance to test it for accuracy. Number three, assume that all of your beliefs about the other side are wrong. Number four, think about your own assumptions. Are there some types of people you generally like or dislike? Do certain phrases or types of language turn you off or inspire you? Number five, explore our own filters and the assumptions that accompany them. Lawyers warning us of a world that is out to deceive us, and we, with our preconceived biases, are often blinded by our own trusting assumptions that if the majority thinks it is true, then it must be true. If these are questions to a secular society to warn them about a world that is trying to deceive them, how much more a warning to us as believers who should desire truth and desire to live out truth? Discernment is hard. Oswald Chambers once said, discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault-finding. That's why we need to always be praying and asking God for wisdom as we test for truth and error. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. So remember the following discernment principles. Discernment principle number one, test everything to see if it is in alignment with God's standards as revealed in the Bible. Discernment principle number two, fear should not influence right decisions because children of God have the all-powerful Holy Spirit. Discernment principle number three, our responsibility is to discern truth versus error regardless of the majority or accepted view. My friends, discern well and be unshakable in this changing world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for reminding us of the truth that we are to discern that which is true and that which is in error. And thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit, which helps us in this discernment process. Help us not to rely upon our own strength and wisdom, because we are often fooled by Satan and the world. Help us to test everything to see if it is in alignment with what the Bible says. Help us to do so without fear because we know that we are children of God and we have the powerful Holy Spirit, God Himself, who resides in our hearts. And help us to understand that we are not to go with the majority or accepted view. We are to go with the truth that is spoken of and revealed through Your Word. Help us to live as followers of Jesus Christ in such a way that we are able to discern truth from error so that we can live a life that is holy and pleasing before You. Lord, bless us as we have studied Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.